When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EDH RETCAST. I'm Matt Morgan, and I'm joined by Dana Roach, as always. Dana, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic, and I am doing so fantastic because, once again, just because it's Dana and I doesn't mean it's just two people. We have another awesome guest on this week. I'm super excited. Just a friend of the podcast, Rachel Weeks. Rachel, what's going on? Nothing. I'm glad to be recording with you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Um, Rachel, for those of you out there in, in listener land that live under a rock, <laughs> who are you? Why, why would why would Dane and I be so excited to have you on the show? Like, what do you do in the magic world? Uh, I am another magic podcaster. I used to have the Commander Sphere podcast, and now I'm one of the co-hosts of the Command Zone podcast. Um, I've been on Extra Turns and Game Nights and... Do that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, but you don't uh, just do magic. I don't. I am I am also a D&D creator. I play live D&D every Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific with a show called Better Than Heroes. It's a group of comedians and we play D&D in space. We play Spelljammer. So it's like pirate ships in the sky. It's all very 70s mod rock. <laughs> uh, it's a ton of fun and you should come check it out. Or if you don't want to watch on Twitch, you can also watch on YouTube, or it is also a podcast, Better Than Heroes. So I, I don't play D&D, and I haven't in a long time, but I did tune in one time, and it was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And <laughs> well, I had no idea you. what was going on. It was oh, just yeah. entertaining. So yes, if if you all like D&D, definitely check out Rachel's content over there as well. Thanks. We do, But we do have a show to do today. We have a special topic. So Dana, what are we talking about today that we had Rachel on for? We're to talk about the keywords in Commander, which ones we like the best, which ones we like the least, all those kind of things. Yeah, we're excited to have this conversation. We, we realized we haven't really done something like this in a while. And so it just seemed to make sense. But real quick, before we actually get into the topic, we have some quick shout outs to do. First, we want to thank Chase, also known as Manicurves, for their help editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing to this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash EDH RecCast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, where even for as little as $2 a month, you can join our Discord community, which is, it's great. It's thriving. It's a ton of fun, great conversations going on over there. There's all that and more over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast, including the weekly patron shout out. So this week, a very special shout out is going to go to Laurel McGinley. So Laurel, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully you would go to our Patreon site, McGinley, and, and it, I, I forced it. I'm sorry. We've had patron names that are too normal lately, Rachel. And so I can't force bad puns on there. You forced it, but I laughed. So like, yeah. what does that okay, say? Good. I enjoyed it. The effort was there. The, but the execution was not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Participation sticker for that one. Yeah. Yes. But thank you anyway, Laurel. We definitely appreciate the support. But now for the main show, there's a lot of keywords out there in magic. And it's sometimes it's kind of hard to keep track of them, which is why we kind of wanted to have a, a bird's eye view of some of our favorite mechanics and what makes them good in Commander. So we're just going to kind of work our way through and talk about mechanics as we see fit and, and kind of go from there. So Rachel, mm -hmm. would you like to introduce the first mechanic we're going to talk about? Uh, it's super popular. You see it on a lot of cards. So what is it? So this keyword is one of my favorites. It's been my favorite since the beginning. And I think when you're a new player, you look at it and you're like, this is broken and it's flying. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, 
like flying is one of those things that I remember seeing on cars and you're like, you just can't block it. You just can't block it at all. How can anyone beat that? Like, <laughs> and to this day, I still think flying is one of the, one of the best uh, keywords to see on a card. We were just talking about this before we started recording about about limited environments, and I mentioned how I just wind up playing blue white flyers in every limited thing I do for that same reason. Like I, I despite not being a new player, I still look at flying and think that's just unbeatable. That's just the best thing you can be doing. Is <laughs> and, and when you play a deck that doesn't have flyers, it's that much more apparent how good it is. When you're like, I just can't do anything about these dragons. I guess I'm gonna have to hope someone else does something because I can't. I think when it's one of those questions in Magic. Where like in Commander, where you're sitting at a table and somebody goes, "Does anybody have any flyers?" and and half the table still says no. Yeah. <laughs> like just having a one-one flyer is like can go so far to not getting you hit. Yeah, the, the, that's a super common question that I think a lot of players it's asked is, "Does anybody have any flyers?" But like you said, nobody ever does anything about it. Nobody changes their decks to include the most basic form of evasion that you can possibly put into a game of commander, just your creatures, they fly over the ones that don't have it. It's super self-explanatory. It's kind of, honestly, it's probably one of the more perfect keywords when it comes to what you're putting onto creatures. It's very easy to understand, but it's also just super effective in pretty much every game. I One of the most pe- perfect keywords, I totally completely agree. I think flying is the easiest thing to understand because you're like, yeah, if you're on the ground, you can't block a flyer, duh. And it doesn't, it says exactly what it does, and it's so powerful and so exciting to play with that I, you know, I still find myself gravitating towards just cards that have flying. I love a two drop with flying. Yeah, it's one of those things. You look at a, a, I look at a commander or or basically any creature, and it having flying radically changes how effective it is. Like if I look at a at a at a creature and see first strike, which we'll talk about at some point. First strike's very useful but it doesn't change in my head how I'm evaluating that creature for the most part. Mm. I look at it and I see flying and I'm like, oh, well that, okay, now cards like Coastal Piracy draw me something extra. Now I can, uh, now now it turns this creature into a Planeswalker removal spell. Like there's a bunch of things that change in how I look at that creature when I see that keyword flying. And I don't think that's true of very many keywords. Well, it, and we, we've mentioned that it's super prolific in Commander. So in the game of Magic, there are 3,457 cards that mention flying on it. That just kind of shows you how common it is to see it. I mean, we joked about blue-white flyers being such a common thing in, in draft environments, but it really is everywhere, whether it's a Birds of Paradise or, or Baleful Strix. There's a ton of cards that get played in so many decks with flying. And so it, you're going to see it pretty much at every table. I know we've said this, but it bears repeating because it's going to be pretty much every game you play. I, I love that it's so powerful and that people still don't have an answer for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, we we, talk, we talked about it and we're like, every time I look at flying, we're like excited. Yes, it's so powerful. And then when you're building, you're like, if you don't have an answer for flyers, you don't realize that you don't have an answer for flyers until it's too late and you're getting just, murdered. Just play more removal, are, Rachel. Just yeah, play more removal. I thought that was the answer to everything. all their flyers. <laughs> well, and, and there, are, there are some things you can bake in a little bit of removal for, like, when I build the deck, I'm usually thinking to myself, okay, how do I handle someone's graveyard? How do I, you know, deal with this or that? Mm-hmm. Um, even if I'm playing a deck, I, I you know, because I've built decks before where just by virtue of uh, whatever the plan is, I have no flyers in the deck. And I, and I realized that pretty quickly. Um, but then I'm like, well, I'm not going to put a hurricane in this deck. That's not, because it's going to be dead enough times. It's not going to do enough for me. So it's also the, the anti-flying spells that you have access to, the defensive things to, to tech against it generally aren't worth really running either, I feel like. Mm. Um, so it's a super useful mechanic that just doesn't tend to have a lot of counters. So you're not playing Plummet either? Because I don't remember <laughs> the last time I put Plummet into any of my decks. It honestly might be better than we give it credit for. Actually, this is probably a good point, but I I run Lingering Souls in my Dihada deck, and every time people look at that list, they're like, what the hell is Lingering Souls doing here? And it's like... It makes four flyers and blocks my planeswalker commander. Like I, it's like that's literally what it's doing. Here. The, the old modern stable. It just has flying. Yeah, I, I forget how good Hornet Queen is until I play it again in some random deck. Like I played it in the mm-hmm. the Elf precon for Lord of the Rings. I was like, this isn't an elf, but it's really freaking good. 
Yeah, Hornet Queen is the um, the big indestructible dinosaur of green <laughs> in pre-cons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what's a Zatalpa? It's the Zatalpa of green they love to put in as top end and commander in pre-cons. But it's, it is that good. When a Hornet Queen's on the battlefield, you're like, cool, I guess I'm leaving you alone forever. I mean, flying is just, it's such a good building block for... Like Voltron decks, just you want you want that on your whatever you're souping up. It's it's a it's a fantastic mechanic. Uh, I'm glad all three of us kind of agree that it's. I mean, there's a reason it's so popular. So yeah. Um. Well, with that said though, Dana, do you want to take us into Trample? Yeah. Um. Trample. Um. Eleven hundred plus cards mentioned Trample. Um. And you know, creatures obviously of things like Rampaging Balos. Um. You know, it's a six-six with trample, but there's plenty of things that grant trample to your creatures that don't natively have it as well. And you know, I, I, everyone at this point, I'm assuming knows what trample does. But just in case you don't, basically, if something blocks a creature, damage beyond what would be needed to kill that creature carries over the top and hits the person who controlled those creatures. So if you swing at someone with a six-six and they block with a three-three, normally that creature would just be blocked, no damage would happen. But if something has trample, that damage carries over the top. Um, in, in a limited environment, that's pretty useful just because, you know, you're, you're wanting to chip away at somebody with those larger creatures and their chump, chump blockers, which they will tend to have, you know, you're going to be able to put a, push a little damage over the top and eventually wear them out. In Commander, how it tends to work is someone drops a crater hoof and just kills the entire table because they buff their entire team to a, a level that they can deal an obscene amount of damage to everyone simultaneously. Uh, it winds up being functionally unblockable almost for the most part when you see it used in Commander. Yeah, I mean, in Commander, Trample is the difference between like dealing 30 damage to somebody and dealing zero. Yeah, right. Because yeah. we get these huge things and then you get attacked with it and you're like, does it have Trample? No. Okay. Then just chump it. Like, I. That is like next to does anyone have any flyers? I feel like does it have Trample is a question that gets asked a lot in commander and if it does uh oh and if it doesn't eh, i'll lose a creature yeah i i would argue that of the two probably marquee cards that people dwell on when it comes to trample granters crater hoof behemoth and overwhelming stampede i think everybody pays attention to the buff that it gives so crater hoof behemoth for example when it enters the battlefield it gives creatures you control trample plus an additional plus X plus X, where X is the number of creatures you control. So if you have 20 creatures on a battlefield, all your creatures getting plus 20 plus 20, that's very flashy and it grabs a lot of attention. But if it didn't grant Trample, none of that damage would matter. And so it Trample is kind of on so many of the cards that give it, it's almost undersold, which is kind of wild to me to think about. Yeah, I mean, that's when you see one of those new kind of buff spells. Um, yeah. If it grants trample is what's important, because like occasionally we've gotten ones that, you know, creatures get plus three, plus three in vigilance or something. That's useful, but that's not, a, that's that like winds up not being a win condition. Because the, the reality is when you're looking at your green slash whatever deck and you're like, okay, what are my ways to win games? 90% of the time, it's something that grants a buff and trample. Yeah. Whether it's whether it's Crater Hoof or Overwhelming Stampede or Triumph of the Hordes or or whatever, it's it's some combination therein of of buffs and trample. It's 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 it is the keyword I think that feels most like a way to win a game. It's also uh, you know we're not if we're if we ignore power entirely, <laughs> it makes the math easier when you're yeah, doing right. a big yeah. attack. <laughs> it's like how much toughness do you have? Okay, you're dead. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't have to line up blockers. You don't have to do. You're like, I have 30 power. You have 12 toughness. 28's enough, or not 28, 18's enough. Haha, <laughs> see, that's why. Because the math bad. That, that's why math is for blockers, though. Because exactly. They're they're the ones that have to figure it out. You trample. have trample. They have they have to do math. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's absolutely just one of those. I, I I love it. I think it might be one of my more favoriteest mechanics in order to to be playing with, just because. It does put so much more pressure onto the defending players. If if you know that your entire team has trample, they could be a bunch of five fives, and you're still going to get damage through because just matching up with so many bodies. I mean, you can throw chum blockers in front of them for days, and you're and you're safe. But trample just messes up combat math in a way that I don't think many other mechanics do. It's also interesting because when when you say that something has trample, it'll go from being like oh a blocker to just a no blocks. 
because now you're not willing to throw a creature in to soak up Mm -hmm. the four damage or whatever and lose the creature. You're just like, I guess I just have to take the 10 or whatever it is because losing a creature and still taking damage doesn't feel worth it with trample. And if it doesn't have trample, losing the creature and taking no damage is sometimes does feel worth it. Yeah, that's especially true in Commander in ways that I think it isn't in other formats. Um, having played, you know, uh, whenever I see a trampling creature somewhere else, you find yourself doing that math. Okay, if I chump block, I'll lose my creature, but I'll only take two. Next turn, I'll take four from that thing, and then I can, okay, I think I can get the kill before this all happens. In Commander, you don't do that. You're just like, oh, it has trample? I'm just taking the six. Yeah. Because, like, the the way the game works, for the most part, that you're not doing that little micro math about, okay, if I just need to, if I only take eight damage over the course of the next two turns, which I think is what's going to happen, I can get the win. That's not really not how it tends to work. So, like, it oftentimes winds up being just straight-up evasion because people are like, I, it's just not worth the, the two or three life I would save. It's not worth losing my creature. Yeah, and if, if anybody has any open mana with a cr- trampling creature, it also just compounds that issue of, okay, I'm not going to risk losing my creature because you have open mana and that means a pump spell. I'm going to lose it anyways. Uh, always something to keep in mind. But I'm going to move us pretty quickly over to another mechanic. And by quickly, I mean haste, <laughs> which is one that makes your creatures move fast. It's, it's another one of those easy to understand mechanics. So typically when a creature enters a battlefield, it has summoning sickness. It can't really do a whole lot. It can't attack. It can't use abilities that require it to tap. But with haste, you get to attack. You get to ignore all of those timing restrictions in order to put an army out maybe real quick to give them all haste. And they're able to attack right away the turn that you play them. Showing up in over a thousand cards in Magic, haste is also pretty popular. There's a lot going on there. And again, you always will see kind of those those haste enablers. And if you see one of those across the table, you know that player, you kind of have to be on guard from them at all times. Oh, yeah. I think haste is terrifying. It's like whatever you're doing, you're doing it now. We have no, like you will not have warning. Yeah. what's What I find most fascinating about haste is I think it's one of the few mechanics where when it's on the commander in the command zone, it's a little bit weaker. Um, you know, if you see trample or flying on a commander in the command zone, it, you really can't change how you interact with that commander for the most part. I mean, maybe you can to a degree. You're like, okay, there's going to be a giant trampler coming in and I need to prepare to be able to block all of that. But like when something has haste in the zone, you you know it's going to be able to come down and swing and you it makes it much easier to prep for that. Whereas haste in your hand... I feel like is where it's most effective. Haste becomes less effective in the zone. In your hand, mm. no one can prep for that. So all of a sudden you are changing the game state in a way that people weren't ready for, um, which I think is super, super powerful. Being able to catch folks off guard and throw the plans they have into the wind is what I like about haste. I just like to be able to do it when people aren't ready for it versus like on a commander where they can see it coming. Haste is also the difference between doing the thing now or doing the thing later, which in commander later is a long time. Like there's three turns between now and later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot can happen in those three turns. So it's like it basically haste means everything happens a turn earlier than it would happen. Oh, yeah. Which is extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. That's why so many decks run haste enablers, you know? Yeah, I I love that point of view of you're not doing everything a turn earlier, you're doing it three turns earlier. Mm. That's a really good way to kind of mentally approach haste. You're, you're, you're time walking the, the board, basically. If you have a rhythm of the wild, I'm going to side eye you, Rachel, because I know that you're able to not only just have your creatures come down with haste, but you know, the creatures aren't going to be able to be countered either. So you're going to get that creature on there and I'm going to have to have a very specific set of interaction to handle you dropping something big and scary and then attacking me right away. Mm-hmm. I, I love that approach of it's not just affecting the, the, the board now, it's making sure it doesn't happen three turns from now. That's that's a really good way to approach it. I think one other, and I like haste, despite me having pointed out maybe a downside to it. I'm going to point out one more downside to it. Um, <laughs> I, I, haste kind of goes away, unlike most keywords. That's true. A flyer has flying this turn, next turn, three turns from now. Haste is really only impactful that turn that it comes down. I, that's not something that you see with other keywords, really. 
and that can wind up being a negative to a degree when someone steals a thing and you know a lot of times red stuff that you steal it grants it haste but that isn't true of every theft effect if someone steals your haste enabler it has haste or they reanimate it from your graveyard or something it has haste when it cracks back at you so um it's it's a keyword that is very of the moment and doesn't tend to be useful after that moment and it can be negatively uh, impactful towards you later on. It's not a reason not to run it or anything. I'm just, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. And I, I wanted to point that out because again, other keywords really don't tend to work that way. I, um, I, I want to mention that like, we're going to talk about it a, a little bit later, but I think a lot of people think about Swiftfoot Boots and Lightning Greaves as protection. And they are in, in, you know, 50%. But a lot of the time when those cards feel the strongest, it's because they're haste granters, especially lightning greaves, which equips for a zero. You can like being able to move it around and give different things haste when you need to for activated abilities or like tapping mana creatures or any number of, of things. It's like, it's so that's the part that really concerns me is like, of course, we're not going to be able to deal with deal with it and that's a problem but like if that Kalia comes down it can attack right now and we're not going to be able to remove it so it's i i think we underestimate the haste on uh our two favorite equipment yeah no for sure because like i i have a i have a sphinx um typal deck and um you know it's blue white so it's pretty controlly i have lots of ways to protect my creatures that make me not necessarily need lightning greaves and swift foot boots except they grant haste to a you know six six flyer or something that many times you know has 12 lines of text that eventually result in me drawing multiple cards when i hit somebody Mm -hmm. like that that yeah absolutely the the haste enabler on those equipment for those those big evasive (laughs) creatures with flying is is (laughs) much more useful in that particular deck than the protection is for sure oh i and and also if you're doing a green deck like the primal surge decks the only reason that they can win the win they primal surge most of the time yeah. is because they hit Concordant Crossroads or because they hit uh, uh, Rhythm of the Wild or something like that that allows this to be a problem right now because they're not passing to be like, do you have an answer? Do you have an answer? Do you have <laughs> right. an answer? No, it's okay. Do you have an answer right now? Great, you're dead. <laughs> well, and, and one thing that I want to dwell on here. Uh, so Dana, you had said people are able to steal things and if they have haste, they can attack you right back. So one thing that we like to do, Rachel, is we like to steal a segue <laughs> from Joey. But Joey Joey's not here to steal a segue from. But in in the spirit of stealing it, would you like to steal a segue from and Joey. go into challenge stats? <laughs> I know he's not here to defend himself, but that just means it's just that much easier to steal. Well, I'm sorry, Joey, but I think we're gonna have to cut you off right there because it is time. <laughs> To challenge the stats. <laughs> no mercy for Joey. Joey is actually here. Uh, we just haven't let them get a word in an edge. <laughs> <laughs> here, here in spirit, effectively. Yeah. But yeah, so so as Rachel said, we're going to challenge the stats here. Lots of stats on EDH rec. We don't always agree with them, and that's why we want to challenge the stats. But we're going to do that after a quick break right now. Uh, my challenge this week is a uh, white instant from way back in the time spiral block. Patrician Scorn costs three and a white. Um, it says destroy all enchantments. That's pretty straightforward. However, it has a little more text in the card. It also says if you played another white spell this turn, you may play Patrician Scorn without paying its mana cost. So you can just cast it for free if you cast a white spell, which is something white decks tend to do. Um, it's currently only in 800 decks in EDH rec. It's a really, really good card. Um, you know, obviously it blows up your own enchantments too, but there's a whole lot of red and white equipment decks that don't run very many enchantments at all and are maybe willing to lose the one or two they have if it takes out another half a dozen enchantments, again, for zero mana. And what's also notable here is there's a handful of other white spells that are destroy all enchantment effects. There's Clean Fall, which is a sorcery. There's Tempest of Light, which is an instant, which are both in close to as many decks as Patrician Scorn and are just significantly worse cards because there's no chance to cast them for free. Um, Patrician Scorn should be in more decks that definitely probably should be in decks that are running Clean Fall or Tempest of Light because it's just a better option. So 
Patrician Scorn, just like if, if you are playing a deck where it's not going to hurt you very much, the option to Swords to Plowshare someone's creature that's tearing your direction and then just blowing up all enchantments for free on top of that is super powerful and you should give it a look. Dana, so Dana, this this card just reeks of something. I feel like you've challenged it before, but it, you actually haven't. But that's just I, shows. I, I, I was sure I did too, and I went and looked it up, and I was like, "Huh, I guess I didn't." I mean, it, it still is a good pick, even though you haven't challenged it before. But hopefully, um, in my mind, it'll actually stick this time. So yes, we'll see. But but it is it is a very very good card. Um, Rachel, why don't you go ahead and, and challenge us now? Well, my challenge is a card that would be blown up by a Tristan Scorn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is an enchantment called Righteous Aura. It's one and a white for an enchantment. It has an activated ability that says white, pay to life, colon. The next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. So this enchantment converts any amount of damage from any source into two life loss. <laughs> that means that you can turn off infect, you can turn off commander damage, you can turn off lifelink, you can turn off Chandra's Ignition, Aetherflux Reservoir, like any sort of big gun strategies, Righteous Aura is an answer to. And what I like about it most is that most of the time you don't have to activate it. As long as you have a couple white mana open on your turn, people won't send your big things at you because you can always turn it into two life loss. So it's sort of like this sneaky ghostly prison type effect because it's just not going to be worth it to hit you with their commander if they know it's not going to be all that effective. So I like Righteous Aura. It's really overperformed for me in a couple of my decks. And uh, it's only in 3,216 decks on EDH rec, which feels quite low for such a powerful interaction piece. The, the really good point about that, like you said, is it's such a good deterrent card. You don't have to use it, just the threat of it is going to like discourage so many people. I, I would be very discouraged by it, but I also only win by combat damage, so I, I'm the minority here. It doesn't do anything if you get hit with a lot of things, but it has been a solid answer for just like big, chunky, one sources of damage. And you're, you're discouraging people from attacking you or doing the damage to you, but not from doing it to somebody else. There's yeah. some situations where you, where, where you created a defense where people can't do a thing, so the focus becomes removing your ability to stop them from doing a thing. And they probably want to remove this, but their immediacy about it isn't there because until they find an answer, they can still hit somebody else or do something to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really the best way to have these effects work is when they keep you safe, but don't keep anybody else safe. Absolutely. Um, and it, yeah, it only prevents damage done to you. It doesn't care about your creatures or that kind of thing. Uh, you can't use it politically, but I do like that it just has this sort of ghostly prison, even like ward type effect. That's like, you have to catch me without mana open or other, or you're going to have to find a new way to take me out. It's really innocuous. It's only two mana. If you're used to playing with a little bit of mana open anyway, you're in white. Hopefully you're holding a protection or swords to plowshares or even disenchant. Um, I think Righteous Aura slots right into those decks. So, solid pick there. But so I'm going to wrap us up then. So I recently, well, not I, we got an email from Jonathan Keyes, who sent us an email to edhretcast at gmail.com and submitted challenge stats, which you all can do out there in listener land. But Jonathan had a really, really good challenge that, I mean, so A, it's in Naya Colors, which I'm already on board with, but also there's a lot of synergy there that I'm really, really enjoying. So Jonathan sent us an email and said, there's a challenge for a new Lord of the Rings card that I think should be playing, seeing more play, specifically in Ginny Faye, Jetmir's second deck. So Ginny Faye is the elf druid that says, whenever you create one or more tokens, you may instead create that many 2-2 green cat creature tokens with haste, or that many 3-1 green dog creature tokens with Vigilance. And the card that Jonathan is pointing out specifically is the new Farmer Cotton, which is X in green and a white for a legendary halfling peasant that says when Farmer Cotton enters the battlefield, you create X-1-1 white halfling creature tokens and X food tokens, which means you create X of both of those types of tokens. And Jonathan points out that when you have Farmer Cotton come into play, you can use Ginny Faye's replacement effect on both instances of those creation of the tokens. So you not only get X cats from the, the halflings coming into play, but also X cats 
from the food tokens coming into play. So if you have food synergies put into your deck already, you get to double down basically on all that token generation. And you can turn this into a late game, play it X equals 10, and you create 20 effectively cats with haste. It gets really at hand really quick. And even just playing it at a moderate rate because you get X times two basically with whatever you're replacing. It's just a great way to make a mass amount of tokens that are going to have haste or vigilance if you need something bigger. So Jonathan from Berlin, thank you so much. Definitely appreciate this challenge. I, anything that's encouraging combat damage, I'm on board with. So I love this challenge. It's uh, Farmer Cotton, I think I just glanced over because the rest of Lord of the Rings was so powerful. But you are absolutely correct. Farmer Cotton is just a great token generator. I, I like this challenge a lot. Love this. I think Farmer Cotton is one of the best rates we've ever gotten on a token generating spell. Like... Mm -hmm. X and a white for X and X is two times that many permanents as I, I cannot think of a spell with better rate than that. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really good. It's really good. If your deck just cares about permanents or cares about tokens, farmer cotton is definitely worth a look. Yeah, for sure. But so we'll, we'll get back into the main show topic then here. So moving on from haste, the, the next most played or at least most common keyword that you're going to see out there is going to be first strike. So first strike, again, is another mechanic that does kind of what it sounds like. There's combat damage, but then any creature with first strike is going to deal its combat damage first. We're currently seeing 644 cards out there that mention first strike. And this one's curious because there, there's a couple mechanics that we're going to talk about that I think kind of don't get the credit they deserve. And for me, First Strike might be one of them, but I'm curious what you two think of First Strike. I always think about First Strike as being less relevant in um, in Commander because like in 1v1, we're used to uh, trading creatures. And that's that's like part of the the one way one thing is like, is this a trade that's worth it? And First Strike says, it's not a trade, I win. And in Commander, it's if you're blocking, you're sort of chumping or it's a free block most of the time. Um, and it feels like First Strike doesn't really change the math on whether I block or don't block. I guess it takes a free block and makes it a not free block, hypothetically. But most of the time, I'm not just trading my creatures off with my opponents. Yeah, if I'm in a different format and someone drops a 3-1 with first strike, I'm just like, oh, well, I guess I'm just losing this game. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm never going to be able to punch <laughs> yeah. through that or or stop it from, or, or kill it without a removal spell. In Commander, I just don't care. I mean, like, it, it might be mildly inconvenient here or there, but, but short of something wonky like Drain a Liberator of Malkir where dealing the damage first is going to put counters on your stuff that deals its damage during the normal damage step. Um, it's It just doesn't change that much. I mean, it, it'll, it'll throw a block off here or there, but the amount of situations where it's really relevant, at least in my experience, are pretty limited. Uh, the only other time that I've seen First Strike be really scary is when it's combined with another keyword, specifically Death Touch, because that just makes things it like unblockable. It means that that little first strike death stretcher can kill any blocker. It can kill any attacker. It's a little murder machine. Yeah, death touch really makes it powerful. I mean, as someone who played a lot of Glissa the Traitor and am now playing Glissa Sunslayer, um, yeah, it, it, that that becomes a wall that's almost impossible to punch through. Um, and if Glissa just had death touch, mm -hmm. that would still be very powerful. If it just had first strike and didn't have death touch, like it would be way less relevant. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The the, the first strike death touch combo is definitely potent. We'll talk about death touch more here in a little bit, but just hearing you two talk about, you know, how you don't really prioritize it. The most played creature with first strike in commander is Knight of the white orchid, which shows up in 92,000 decks, which is a very respectable number, but the next most common mechanic is vigilance. And that the most played card with Vigilance in Commander is Sun Titan with literally twice those decks. It's 184,000 mm. decks. So it's literally played in twice as many as the, the, the next First Strike creature. So it seems that the players tend to agree with you all that it's fine, but it's not really nice. It just it might be common on cards, but maybe it's not as common at the table. So kind of backs up your, your all um your experiences then i guess yeah yeah and, and the other thing i think is that's that's that kind of drives that point home as well is we talked about enablers whether it's you know things like fervor and to give haste to your team or the various ways to do it with trample uh, 
I tend to run things that enable keywords in, in plenty of situations. Like giving your whole team trample is powerful. Giving it flying is really powerful. Giving it, you know, your, your team vigilance is very, very useful. Double strike, whatever. I've never once thought to myself, man, I want to give my whole team first strike. You had a first strike enabler. <laughs> yeah, it's just not something I, I ever think about doing for my team at all. Um, unlike every other keyword we've discussed. So that's not to say it's not useful, but it's not the kind of thing that is worth devoting a slot to in a deck. Well, and so Dana, you mentioned Vigilance, I mentioned Vigilance, that's the next mechanic that we see showing up in 715 cards in Magic. And this one, I, I like Vigilance a lot. Having kind of pseudo blockers that you mentioned a little bit, Dana, I think that's actually just extremely helpful when you get into pods where there's it's just getting into a complicated board state. Having Vigilance where you can kind of get a free attack in almost, or at least you don't get punished for the attack so much. I think that is very, very helpful if you're playing a creature-dependent strategy. Oh, yeah. I think Vigilance is super underrated, especially on boards where things are kind of gummed up. If you can have be able to be on the offense and the defense, um, you guys, especially like Vigilant Flyers are really, really powerful because you get sort of a free attack without having to lose any of your defense. Um, you can win the long game with Vigilance. Yeah, very much so. Like, you know, talking about Vigilant Flyers, Sarah Angel being the, the original version of that. Um, you know, in a 1v1 game, okay, assuming someone's swinging at you with a 3-3, you have a Sarah Angel there that's available as a blocker every single turn while also attacking. So you're going to be able to attack for 4 damage and then prevent, you know, up to 3 damage swinging back at you. In Commander, where you have multiple opponents, that Sarah Angel or, or whatever vigilant creature you have is going to be able to deal four damage just like it does regularly and soak three and soak three and soak three. It has the ability to uh, defend multiple times in a way that like you don't uh, aren't able to do in a, a 1v1 format. So I, I do think vigilance is significantly better in Commander than it is in, in the, the other formats we play for the reason that you can defend against a, a multiple attacks with it in a way that you can't elsewhere. Well, and so I, I have a Taysa Karlov deck, and it used to be your basic Taysa Karlov where I was really going deep on the death trigger. So whenever a creature dies, if it causes something to trigger, it triggers twice. But Taysa has a second ability that I almost forgot about sometimes, where it gives all your creature tokens, vigilance, and lifelink. And you just gain so much life, and your defenses are always up in that deck. I just switched it so I made a bunch of token generators in that deck. And I can't believe I just forgot slash completely undersold how powerful the Vigilance is in that deck. It just, it's so easy to overlook it. And I i don't think I ever will again after I kind of realized that and reworked that deck. It's just being able to get, I mean, especially in that deck specifically, being able to get lifelink out of your tokens, but also those tokens that you're probably beefing up also are sticking around to play defense. It's such a hard wall to break through and you just, you buy so much time for yourself. Often attacking in commander is so dangerous that you just don't do it. And you mm -hmm. wait until that one turn where you're like, I have the Acroma's will, I have all the anthems I need, and you're waiting for the opportune moment. But vigilance makes more opportune moments, um, which means you can get more chip damage earlier. It just, it's, a really great aggressive uh, keyword, especially when combined with some kind of evasion. It's like death touch. Huh. And where I really noticed the power, like where it really drove home how useful it is to me, is I have an equipment deck and I had put a sort of vengeance in the deck at some point. And I put the sort of vengeance in the deck for every other reason but vigilance. <laughs> you know, creature gets plus two plus oh, that's very useful. Um, particularly when I have, you know, double strike enablers because it becomes four damage. Haste is very, very useful in there. The There's there's just multiple reasons I thought Sword of Vengeance would be a good fit. Mm -hmm. But once I got it in the deck and got it on the creature that I am I'm equipping up, I'm like, oh, well, now this creature that's, a, you know, 16, 16 or whatever ridiculous size that's bulked up to with all the equipment on it, it's also preventing them from swinging at me with their scariest thing every turn because that's available as a blocker in a way that it wasn't previously. So the amount of damage that sort of vengeance that I put in as an offensive card prevented me from taking made me really appreciate, not that I didn't think it was good, but like it really drove home to me how very good it can be in certain decks. And imagine how great sort of vengeance would be if it also had lifelink. Ah, <laughs> good, good segue. Because <laughs> uh, that would be busted. Um, 
Lifelink basically is is a keyword that allows the, you to gain life based on damage that creature dealt. Um, and it's been around in some variation since very early on. It wasn't keyworded right away, but there were, you know, creatures and, and enchantments that allowed a creature to to gain you life based on damage that was dealt. Um, Lifelink, I think, is maybe underappreciated in Commander as well. I It's super powerful in limited environments where, like, just the ability to gain a couple damage radically changes people's ability to put you away. I, I, I've played in a ton of, like, pre-release environments where... I was sure I had the win, and then someone played some random common that, like, gained them three incidental life, and I'm like, oh, I can't win this game now. Like, it's just over. Yeah. Um, Commander tends to not work that way, but Commander also is a format where no one gains three life. They gain 60 or something obscene. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it, – it, and there's plenty of times, too, where I've played games where my life total's gotten down to, like, you know, 12, 15 or something – and being able to j get that giant burst of life, particularly in a slower deck, is the difference in winning and losing. Like once you get stabilized and then all of a sudden you have some way to, whether it's a, you know, true conviction kind of effect or something, just changes everything. You had lost a bunch of life while you were building up your board state and then all of a sudden you're back to 40 and and you have that ridiculous board state now. So um, I, I am a fan of, of lifelink for sure. I like lifelink a lot in combination with pay life effects. Um, so as a direct result, I use lifelink most in black decks. Uh, like I have a search for black deck, which which pays life to draw cards. And I woo, am, have been playing with a uh, Nashi deck, which pays life to cast spells. And um, having that lifelink in the deck just makes me be able, it just makes my commanders more powerful. Um, so it really it enables this engine that uh, I wouldn't I would eventually run out of life. <laughs> well, and it's not just that lifelink is it's it's very very powerful, but so many ways that you can gain life. That's kind of the whole reason that like gain life decks are a theme that you see. You know, decks care about how much life you've gained. Then you get to do a thing. So in addition to the the pay life effects that you're talking about, Rachel or Dana, I know that you have a deck that's all about gaining life and then paying that life to then do something else. Just being able to gain life, even incidentally, I've tried to work at least a card or two into lots of my decks, like my, my Valduk deck, for example. I, I've wanted to take Loxodon Warhammer out of the deck because I'm like, well, I have like five other trample enablers, but I don't have any other lifelink. I don't have any other ways to gain life. And that deck, it doesn't play defense very well. And so being able to effectively buy yourself time by gaining even 10, 15 life, like you said, Dana, it can have a huge impact on just how much, if you if that gets you another turn in a mono red, very aggressive deck, mm -hmm. that might be the difference between winning and losing. I think lifelink has gotten a bit of a bad rap because they're like, lifelink is useless against infinite combos. It's useless against like super mm -hmm. powerful decks that go over the top. But lifelink in like a casual deck that pod where people tend to win with combat damage or tend to like, you know, uh, in, in groups that shy away from infinite combos can really buy you the time you need to set up. And like, I don't think you need to gain 60 life. I think if you gain 20, people look at your life total and it's like, well, attacking you is useless at this point. And so they will just take out another player and figure out how to deal with you later. Like I was in, I was in, uh, there's an extra turns game where I was playing Celestine which has mm -hmm. life gain in it to trigger Celestine, but it's more of an incidental life gain. It's like four or five life a turn rather than, you know, 10, 20 life a turn. She's a three, four with, with lifelink. And people, the other players in the game looked at my life total. It was like 62, which is high, but not an outrageous life total for commander. And people were like, ugh, it's useless to even chip at your life total because you'll just gain it right back. So damage that should have come my way at that point in the game just got sent elsewhere because they were like, you're a later problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the the thought of just lifelink being able to buy you time. Mm -hmm. So you, you get attacked by a huge attack, you lose 25 life, and say maybe you say you're down to, to 15 or so. Being able to like get yourself back even up to 30 just feels so much safer than being in those teens where another attack can instantly end you. And so negating an entire combat step gradually over the course of the game, I think is very, very powerful. And, and you're right, it does get a bad rap because combos exist. But if the, your playgroup doesn't play a lot of combos, 
then yeah, why aren't you giving Lifelink a second look? Because it it is going to be very, very powerful. Yeah, and I'm not sure that I, I guess I get the argument about how it's it's kind of irrelevant in a in a combo environment, but so is a bunch of keywords, right? Like how how relevant is trample in that situation? How relevant is first strike or how relevant is flying? Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of like buying time with a keyword, um, I, I don't think I've seen a card buy more time in a game of Commander than Baleful Strix because it has flying, so it can block anything. And it has death touch, so it can kill anything. And whenever I've seen any kind of blue-black deck that has a Baleful Strix that they're able to drop on turn two, what winds up happening is no one deals damage to that person for, like, five turns. Because there's always going to be, like, oh, well, I'll just hit that person instead. So, like, you have, like, multiple turns of that where it's just, it's not worth losing your attacker to a creature that will kill it every time. And draw them a card. Like, like it's it's just the math is terrible. And also, they won't spend a removal spell on it. Right, which because that that almost feels worse. <laughs> it's like you played your baleful strikes, you haven't gotten hit, and I, like, what do you want me to discard a card to get rid of this one one? It's ah! it, it's such a ridiculous creature. And unless someone's doing some blink stuff to you know abuse that ETB. It's just not worth removing either, particularly when you can be hitting other people. So it just sits there until the first board wipe happens, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how Death Touch tends to work. It's it's not really an evasive keyword, um, but it is in a lot of ways. Like it lets you punch through damage because people don't want to lose their attacker, and it lets your insignificant creatures become fantastic blockers because your opponents don't want to lose their things that are swinging in. Um, I I'm a huge fan of Death Touch. I've built an entire deck around the mechanic. It's always been one of my favorite mechanics in the game. Um, and, and it also lets you do goofy things. It, it interacts nicely with trample and with first strike and with fight style mechanics. Um, any ways to like make that creature deal damage to another creature turns it into lethal, even if it's not combat damage. So I, I like it that it has a lot of creativity brewed into what you can do with it as well. Yeah, I mean, Death Touch is powerful enough that like we know Baleful Strix is amazing and it's super strong. But it makes Gonti, which is Baleful Strix, but on the ground and for four mana. Yeah. Still great and still really, really strong card that still gets played in Commander. Like, Death Touch is, is one of those things like where it, it is just a deterrent. And it's enough to have a little rattlesnake where you're not the easiest person to attack mm-hmm. can save your life in Commander. Well, and Orin Frostfang, which is one of my favorite cards for Commander... Gives your attacking creatures death touch, so you already don't want to block them, but you kind of have to block them because the second ability, when a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. So basically, it's you're hitting them twice. Once is on their life total, and once is letting or them effectively letting you draw cards. It makes such a complicated declare blockers step. I I love it because I play Orin Frostfang in so many of my decks. But yeah, death, the, the death touch ability, just making it hard to block, you don't really want to block, but also you're hard to attack. It really is, in a good way, a two-edged sword because it's doing double duty. Yeah. I mean, I when I think death touch, I think Ophiomancer, which is powerful for other reasons because it makes that token every turn. It's great with sack outlets and that kind of stuff. But a lot of the time, I'll just run Ophiomancer as like a forever block. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm always a problem and you have to remove this three drop or you will never be able to hit me. Unless the creature you're swinging in with has indestructible. There you go. <laughs> which, which is another powerful keyword, which yeah. basically means you can't destroy this creature. It has to be exiled or some other way of, of, of getting rid of it. You, I, I can't even say you have to destroy it some other way because you can't destroy it. <laughs> now, I, I will say I, I do think indestructibles may be a little bit less powerful in Commander than it is elsewhere. Um, for the simple reason that in Commander we have access to every card ever printed, and people tend to favor Exile as removal for the most part, and while they don't print that much Exile removal, they print enough of it that when you have access to all of the Exile removal spells ever printed, it's pretty easy to run a lot of them. Um, So I've found that Indestructible is, while useful, less useful than perhaps it, it is in other places because... You know, every white deck's running probably Swords and Path, and and there's there's a lot of ways to get around it in a way that there really necessarily isn't elsewhere. I mean, I think indestructible creatures are still make for very very good blockers, and for sure. I mean, you still have I mean a majority of your wrath effects are still going to be destroy all creatures. Mm-hmm. It's the most common way to get rid of things in mass. So 
giving that's I think that's why heroic intervention is such a powerful card because yeah. yes it prevents the targeted removals by giving all your creatures hexproof but all of them indestructible as well so you dodge all these wraths which is I mean yes there's toxic deluge there's other ways that are mass creature destruction without destroying but by and large they're all going to be destroy all creatures mm. and I think that's why Boros charm heroic intervention are such powerful role players in the format I would argue that indestructible is worse as a keyword on a creature than it is in like most other formats. And then even that it used to be, mm -hmm. uh, but it is still powerful to have in mass. It's still good to like have everything get indestructible at the opportune moment. Like heroic yes. intervention is still good. Boros charm is still good. Flawless maneuver is still good. Sure. Uh, but having a, like an indestructible creature is not what it used to be. That doesn't mean that it's not good and it's not impactful. I think a lot of the time people will be, will look at your board and be like, wait, why didn't that die? And you're like, it's indestructible. And they're like, ah, crap. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think we all know that the indestructible gods like Perforos from Theros and Thassa and all, all of those, as soon as they become a creature, and not an enchantment anymore, they're much more vulnerable yeah. as an indestructible creature than they are as an indestructible enchantment. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, one way that you can be a menace to the table, which is our next mechanic, <laughs> th th there's your segue right there, um, is with creatures with menace. So so menace finally got keyworded. It's been around for a while, but it's, it's never really, it was always just cannot be blocked unless by two or more creatures. Uh, once it finally got keyworded, though, you you have a lot of creatures out there. So 352 cards mention Menace, but really there aren't a lot that get a ton of play. Uh, Professional Facebreaker is a new one that kind of burst on the scene just because of the engine that it is. But by and large, I don't think many people are playing Menace cards because they have Menace. There's often other abilities like Eros got a victory, like you said, that also has Indestructible, but giving all of your creatures menace is much more impactful than just one creature with that menace. Yeah, menace is sort of like first strike first strike where I'm like this is an upside for sure, but it isn't I do not consider it like the evasion that flying or death touch or, you know, any other even indestructible can be sometimes. Um it is a cool bonus, especially on a bigger creature, because a lot of the times people will block with like the free blocker and then at least a chump blocker if they're double blocking a menace creature, but it it isn't a foolproof evasion. Yeah, I, I like menace as well, I, but I, I think the, the first strike comparison is perfect. If I see a creature with menace or first strike, I'm like, oh, that's useful. I'm glad it has it. But I never think I really need to add menace to my deck. I really need to add first strike to my deck. It's not the kind of thing that I like. In, in the Like you mentioned too, it can also, particularly the longer the game goes, the less relevant it becomes. Mm -hmm. You know, at turn three, menace is generally, you know, means unblockable. Turn six or turn eight, mm -hmm. it doesn't. Um, so it, it becomes less effective the longer the game goes too. And that's the point in the game when you need things to be most effective. Yeah, I, I, I like the the analogy you just made of it gets less effective the, the, as the game goes on it's kind of like ward where ward two early in the game is basically hexproof right ward two on turn 10 it oh well that's annoying but fine whatever so yeah it, it's it's a good way to it, it's relevant early but it fades that's a really good way to put it um but speaking of ward two which is kind of a bad version of the next mechanic we're going to talk about which is hexproof which just means you can't target it you can't or excuse me opponents can't target it excuse me i mean hexproof is is one of our favorite keywords in commander i think we lean on swiftfoot boots and lightning graves which is shroud but for the same reason is to protect our key engine pieces especially your commanders who obviously that these kind of decks are built around one piece they want one thing <laughs> to stay alive and hexproof uh allows us that protection yeah, a creature having hexproof or at least being in colors where you can easily grant it hexproof enables strategies that you would never attempt in a environment where you couldn't give it hexproof. If you see, if I see a creature with hexproof, my first thought is, well, what kind of Voltron deck could I build around this commander? If it doesn't have hexproof, I almost never am going to consider it for that kind of role, or at least some way to prevent everyone else from removing all the things I've done to it at extreme value to them. So 
Yeah, and beyond just the utility it provides for enabling strategies, it's just so good for punching through damage or you know protecting useful things that you have. Just giving your enchantment hexproof functionally is a counterspell a lot of times. If you, you get a lot of green effects let you give a permanent hexproof till end of turn for a relatively low cost, that winds up being a counterspell more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it just has a lot of utilities both typed onto a creature or permanent that you're using or as a defense mechanism at instant speed um, or like we mentioned on, on, on things like Swiftfoot Boots where you can just protect the thing long term. A lot of utility and it's I, I'm a huge fan of Hexproof, although I get why they've quit using it too because it's, I'm so glad. it's kind of frustrating to play against. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- this is this is a Hexproof stand podcast, but I do agree. It, it's the mecha- the mechanic takes away so much agency from players mm-hmm. in being able to interact with And yes, there are ways to get around it with like Shadow Spear. You can pay a mana to make permanence your opponent's control lose Hexproof and Instructable. But really, by and large, that I just Hexproof, it's so hard to interact with. Is it a fantastic mechanic? Absolutely. But is it fantastic to experience when you're trying to get around it? Not so much. Yeah, I think they learned a valuable lesson from Hexproof, which is just commander like players like to be able to interact that's part of the cool mm-hmm. moments of commander is like you thought you had it but i had this and you had that ah! like that like that's where the exciting parts of magic come from and if you're like oh it's hexproof i can't do anything about that all right yeah the the, the, the play more interaction argument goes right out the window because like oh you say i should play more interaction well your commander's hexproof so nice try like if you just think about six mana narset without hexproof that's a manageable commander now, you know? Yeah, right. yeah. Like, it's a powerful commander, but it's a manageable commander. It's, it's one that we, like, can understand and can play against. But because it's hexproof and because it's so powerful, it became the boogeyman. Yeah, so my Sigarda deck that I had for a while was a Voltron, and just having native hexproof on a commander, it's very, very powerful. And it's not quite oppressive, but it's completely unfun to play against. Probably one of the big reasons I don't have that deck anymore, just because... The, the play patterns that it put my opponents through just it required such a specific set of answers for it <laughs> that it just it wasn't a lot of fun especially if you're able to put indestructible onto a hexproof creature just good luck interacting for a majority of decks the kind of last back-breaking mechanic here i'd like to talk about um is double strike and we've referenced it a little bit here but double strike is basically first strike except for you don't lose your main damage step as well so like you're just dealing damage twice hence the name double strike oh um the the, the one thing i would note about double strike is when i it was not a thing that existed when i left the game and when i came back to magic and i saw double strike and saw it work i was like how could this be a thing giving a creature the ability to deal damage immediately and then, like that's that's too powerful. That can't be a real mechanic, right? And w- while my opinion on it has changed a little bit over the years, it hasn't changed that much. Like, it's a win condition mechanic. I Trample would be the other one, but when I look at a deck and I think, how am I going to win this game? Very often, it's a couple cards that grant double strike. Like, that's a, a thing I like. Like, I'm playing white and I have a lot of creatures. A Chroma's Will and True Conviction and even Duelist Heritage sometimes feel like win conditions. Um, and it also grants that, you know, first strike ability as well, where it changes combat math by letting you deal damage first. Like, there's just a lot of things about Double Strike that are crazy powerful. Yeah, on top of it just being a powerful way to end the game, to deal double the amount of damage that you normally would... Double strike is great for triggering combat damage things twice. So mm. it, can, it can be a great value mechanic. I've found Fire Shrieker to show up in decks where it's just it's just so I can hit with my commander's da- like deal damage trigger twice. And it's like, yeah, that's more damage, great, but it's just so I can trigger that that ability twice. Yeah, it's it's kind of undersold. Yeah, it's you you yes, you have to attack with it, but being able to have two on hit effects to layers of damage there's there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot of just interactions that you can play around with within your own decks with double strike that a lot of other mechanics don't really empower which is something that is kind of fun to play around with and and see like oh well this this commander has a really good on hit effect how can i fit double strike into this deck i don't see you don't really do that with a lot of the other mechanics we've talked about other than it's generically helpful but there's specific synergies that you can plan in that I, I like when people are able to explore with. So it, that is a, a point for Double Strike in my mind, too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it, it amplifies things that you're already doing, whether it's the on-hit effects like Rachel mentioned or the damage um, or, or, or things like buffs, like, you know, giving a creature, you know, plus four, plus four is pretty useful, but it becomes plus eight, plus eight with double strike. Mm-hmm. And that just scales upwards. Like the, the more of a temp buff you put on a creature, the more damage that does when you're then doubling it as well. So like it's it's just a way to make good things even better. Um, yeah, I... I have so many decks that take advantage of double strike in, in one way or another. And I'm one of my all-time favorite mechanics for sure. And, and I wouldn't go so far as to say it's underrated because um, I think people are aware of how powerful it is, but um, I, I think maybe it is underrated. <laughs> I think people maybe don't realize like how many different things it does to a deck and, and how useful it is to add. I think the, the, the reason people might undersell it, Dana, is because of all the mechanics we've talked about so far, it's on the least amount of cards. There's only 212 cards with double strike on it. So, and Watsi is very, very careful with how powerful the card they put double strike on. Yes. So if you if you've experienced it to its fullest, then yes, you you are very, very aware and you probably don't forget. But maybe the exposure isn't there, or some of the cards that people like fencing ace is not really a, a commander staple, but it's one of those cards that has double strike. And that's kind of a lot of the types of cards Double Strike usually is on. With the exception of Embercleave, <laughs> which is a, a bit much. <laughs> now, Embercleave is, yeah, Embercleave is awesome. I believe in the cleave, yes. It's, uh, I, I have a, my Voltron deck is a Lord of Tressorhorn deck, and he is a 10 power creature. Uh, so Double Strike gets him most of the way to lethal in one hit. And so Double Strike is a main thing that the deck is built around because it's one of the more efficient ways to both protect him in battle. He's a 10-4, so you can deal that 10 damage first and you won't be trading with something, Um, but also just deal a lethal hit um, if people don't block. Yeah, it it all adds up real quick. Um, So one mechanic I want to mention real quick, because so... Rachel, you're coming over to, to to do the show with us from the command zone, and also a friend of the show also works for command zone. Craig Blanchett would be very mm. upset with us <laughs> if we didn't mention infect real quick. It's oh, not yeah. very common, but poison is is there. Um, and triumph of the hordes. Again, Craig, I'm with you. Triumph of the hordes is the best card ever. So let's just count to ten instead of twenty. Why not? I mean, Triumph of the Hordes is, is funny because you look at it and you're like, which is the scarier part? Is it Infect or is it Trample? <laughs> the, the Trample. It is the Trample. It, it's, the tra- it's the Trample. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Infect is, is uniquely powerful in that it can cause fear with a single word. Yep. Because you're like, am I dead? I could be. You Usually you are, though. And, and we've got multiple other things, whether it's toxic or poisonous, that, inter- that interact with it, even though they don't do the same thing, too, but they, like, kind of serve to... Because to, we're probably never, ever going to get another Infect card again. No. I doubt uh, it. But we might get more more toxic. We might get more poisonous. Like, there are things that will interact with it. We did get the new Itali, which is, like, Infect-ish. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in- Infect-adjacent, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the long-form Infect. I would be surprised if we did get true Infect again, though. It's... It messed up the standard format. It messed up a lot. So <laughs> yeah. I, I would be, I just wanted to say it just because I, Rachel, I just want to make sure that we're we're giving Craig some shout outs while oh, yeah. while no. we're on the while we're <laughs> sure. on the topics. He'll appreciate it. I'll make sure he hears. So are there any other mechanics? We we can't be comprehensive. We'd be here for for a couple of days if we tried to talk about literally every single keyword and mechanic in Magic the Gathering. It's just impossible to do. But are there any others that you want to give a quick shout out to anything that stands out to you that you do find yourself enjoying in games that are making an impact? Uh, certainly impactful. I don't know if it's the tidiest mechanic or if it's the most fun to play against, but protection is a big thing that commander players lean on. Protection mm-hmm. from certain colors, from creature types, from card types um, ends up being how like the evasion and the protection that you need in one. It is completely impossible to understand. And I, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm not sure it's as tidy as something as flying, but I do think that we uh, should just nod to protection overall. Yeah. Dan, anything for you? Um, You know, I I am a fan of Flash, although fairly often Flash feels a little bit like just better haste. Um, because particularly when you're applying it to creatures, you kind of do the same thing, right? You're just going to flash in before the end of the turn, and then it will start to, start to turn on your turn and it can immediately swing. So um, it does feel like blue just got the better version of something red tends to do, which is kind of 
traditional in the history of magic. Par for the course. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I like flash. And, and it also is one of those mechanics that I feel like it, it allows you to be clever. Um, you know, I love, we all loved flying, but like there's probably not that much you can really do as a player to like show off your skills or brewing abilities with flying as a mechanic. Flash lets you do a whole lot. Like it lets you be clever about your timing and feel like the decisions you made when you brewed that deck or when you made that play are the reason you pushed ahead. And I think I like that about mechanics where it gives you a chance to, to exploit what it does based on your skills or abilities. Yeah, I, I like that. And one thing I, I always, I think that I like reach, but then when I look at the cards that I'm playing that have reach, I'm not playing them because of reach. Uh, Ancient Green Warden, I'm not playing that because it's able to block flyers. I'm playing it for other reasons. So I, I want to give a shout out to reach, but it shows that, you know, there's over 3,400 cards with flying on it. Literally 10% of that are, are cards that have reach and able to deal with flying. So that kind of shows not only are players not playing plummet, but Watsy just doesn't care about taking care of flyers either. So, but to wrap us up before we go, if you both had to say a top five, as far as your, your the, the mechanics we've talked about that you look to put into your decks, what would say are your five favorites that make an impact on commander games? Oh, my five favorites. That's different. I think for me, it's haste, flying, vigilance, trample, and death touch. Okay. Dana, what about you? Uh, death touch is my favorite mechanic of all time, but when I'm brewing a deck, I don't necessarily like look to add it to any list unless there's a super specific reason. Whereas... Hexproof, Double Strike, Trample, Flying, and Vigilance are all mechanics I'm looking to see if I have in a deck because they're going to enable me to do the things I want the deck to do, whether it's avoid attacks, punch damage through, protect myself, whatever. So those are the ones I'm I'm looking to make sure I have some of them in the deck or or add to the deck to give me the ability to do what I want to do. Yeah, that's, that's all good. I, so I'm glad that we all kind of agree. Trample, it's it's the best. I'm, I'm just going to say that. It's the best. It's my favorite. Um, Hexproof, just we, we talked about how just impactful it is being able to protect your permanence. Flying, just making combat difficult. I, that's I'm all about that and being able to soar over people. Uh, but Lifelink, I, I love Lifelink. I think that there's a lot of value to having more time in a game. That's the most valuable resource. And, and Vigilance, having that kind of always defenses up. I just think it's so powerful. It's it's hard to ignore. It's it's real power. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, it's interesting to hear your takes on that and what you really value and, and like to put into your decks. But with that said, we probably need to close it up here. We've been talking for a while. Um, so real quick before we go, uh, Rachel, where can everybody find you? Where can they find you on social medias? Anything else you want to plug? Just take a second to plug whatever you have to plug. Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Reeks. Uh, you can also find me hosting the Command Zone. So I'm over there on YouTube. Uh, I play a lot of my decks on Extra Turns and on Game Nights if you want to check out those as well. I just, just did a huge tour of all of my decks. If you want to see how I really put those keywords to work, uh, it's like Rachel Ranks her decks or something like that. Go check that out. Um, my decks are my babies, so it's always really fun to talk about them. Um, also, if you like D&D, if you're into that, come watch some comedians goof around in space with Better Than Heroes. You can find that on YouTube or on Twitch Live at 7 p.m. Pacific uh, every Monday. And I'm Matt Morgan. You can find me on Twitter at Mathemus55. And we are streaming as well Wednesday evenings. We stream with guests on every single time we go on there. So make sure you tune in for that. And Dana, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Rachel. It was awesome having you on. It's always fun getting to chat with you. So just thank you so much for, for coming on, sharing some of your insights. We definitely appreciate it. Um, but until Thanks for then. Thanks having me. Man, such a pleasure. It's always fun hanging out with yeah. you guys. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's awesome to just, yeah, again, to chat. I know I'm gushing, but here we are. And I'm just going to gush because we have a second to outro. But everyone out there in listener land, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back with you next week for more data and insights. But as Joey would say, don't forget to EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>